welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, Andrew Boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going to be going over UFC 237, which goes down in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, headlined by a women's title fight in Jessica Andrade against the champion, returning champion, Rose Namajunas, as she comes back after defeating Ioanni and Jacek for a second time. Uh... As you guys have noticed, you guys obviously won't be able to see my beautiful mug as always. I'm going to be recording strictly an audio version this time around. I'm in beautiful St. Gregor, Saskatchewan, visiting my girlfriend's parents. But I still got to get some content out for you guys. So here I am recording for you guys nonetheless. I could not skip an event like UFC 237, which seems to be quite top-heavy on first look. But if you guys go through the card throughout it, um, there's some great great fights uh, sprinkled throughout it, some names, some up-and-comers. Uh, I'm very excited for it overall. Um, but let's just quickly recap our last event, which was UFC Ottawa, which went down this past Saturday uh, when we had Cowboy Cerrone headlining against Ally Quinta. And it was a very profitable night for us. I was very happy with my... Um, with my run there, you know, the last couple of events before that was a little bit of slump, uh, had me in a little bit of a slump and had me quite demoralized. But I, I, I came up with a little bit more of a, a strategy, something to tinker with the, the current uh, process that I use for making bets. Um, and I, it's, you know, it's only been the first event and it kind of paid off already. I, I finished with a 45% return on investment. So that's a, a great sign. Uh, and I continue, I, I look forward to continuing to implement this new strategy uh, and ways for me to, you know, capitalize on some of these lines that I would always look past in the future. Um, for those unfamiliar, you know, my, my lock of the night strategy is always finding that one or two plays that I can hammer with five units. Uh, and then my dog of the night plays, which is sprinkling between one to 2.5-ish units uh, on a on a dog play that I'm, I'm very intrigued by. Uh, but now I'm adding it, you know, uh, slight favorites and underdogs that I'm not technically calling a dog of the night, uh, you know, parlays and all that. Uh, but this time around, you know, it really paid off. Uh, and we'll just quickly recap it before we get into UFC 237. So um, we had, uh, first and foremost, we'll go over my lock of the night play. I had one lock of the night play, which was Andrew Sanchez versus Marc-Andre Berrio. It was a five-unit play at minus 161. Uh, very happy with the performance that I got from Andrew Sanchez. You know, it was a little bit closer than it should have been. Um, however, he really, he really showed in that third round that he just wanted it really, really bad. And uh, you know, he never let go of that single. You can say what you want to him, want about him stalling, but he was controlling the fight. Mark Andre wasn't able to get off. You know, these crazy shots. He had a, Andre really had a, a lot of success in that second round. But in the third round, Andrew, Andrew Sanchez really knew that he had to put it on. Marc-Andre Berriou did not let him breathe at all uh, and was able to grind out the decision victory, which is kind of what I thought he would do. Uh, just, you know, not as close as it was, unfortunately. So it had me sweating a little bit, but at the end of the day, the lock of the night play caches, five units for 3.11 units with a 62% ROI there. Uh, and then I had a bunch of other plays. We'll get into my dog of the night play, which was Derek Brunson, one unit at plus 100. That cashes. You know, Elias Theodoro always comes into these fights with this weird style of, you know, kind of just shadow throwing 101. You know, I, I talked to one of his coaches, way, but, uh, you know, one of his former coaches, I should say, uh, and he was kind of mystified at the the type of striking style that Elias was kind of presenting in his last couple of fights. But uh, Elias has kind of admitted it himself. You know, it's it's only going to work against certain fighters. But once you really start fighting these upper echelon guys like Derek Brunson, 
that type of shit's not going to fly around here. So um, big win for Derek Brunson here. Uh, big cash for us as well as a dog that I play one unit for a profit of one unit. And then I had a small, super small dog that I play uh, a 0.25 unit uh, poke, if you want to call it that, on Samurai's to win by sub over Macy Kiasen. You know, at the end of that first round, it was very close. You know, I thought we almost had that in the bag. And if maybe Sarah Morass had 10 more seconds, she was going to pull off that armbar. However, Macy Kiasen survives. And then we get uh, a complete demolition in that second round, which is what I thought the fight would was going to be uh, for Macy Kiasen uh, from the get-go. But, you know, there was that, that slight chance that Sarah Morass was going to be able to latch on some sort of submission. So a 0.25 unit risk on a plus 13.25 prop was just a no-brainer for me, and I would make that bet every single time, uh, no matter what. So uh, that's minus 0.25 units there. Uh, and then we move on to my regular plays. Like, I have no real classification for these plays. They're more so just value plays or whatever you want to call them. I like to just call them the normal, regular plays. Uh, the first of which, which was Mirab Devalishvili, 1.7 units at minus 163 against Brad Katona, undefeated Canadian uh, coming here. Uh, but this was a very tough matchup in Mirab Devalishvili. People can say what they want about Mirab's technique and his striking, but the pace that this man sets and his ability to chain wrestle and you know go from one martial art to the next in an MMA fight is just insane. I said it in the... Uh, the, the last episode where I was saying that Mirab Devalishvili is probably the best fighter to ever have an 8-4 and four record. I think the ceiling is very high for him, with the, especially with the pace that he sets. And I think that, uh, you know, this Brad Katona win was uh, a very big feather in his cap. Um, you know, there's a lot of hype coming around Brad Katona. A lot of people thought that he would be able to get up from any type of um, takedown that Mirab was able to land. Uh, they thought that he was going to outstrike Mirab. They thought he was going to submit Mirab. But... Mirab showed the fuck up, and he he did what he had to do, and and he got the W here with that pace and that wrestling and that grinding style. And uh, in the last episode, I said that you know I was thinking of going five units deep on Devalishvili and making it my lock of the night play. However, I you know I backpedaled a little bit. Um, maybe it was me drinking a little bit of the juice that a lot of people were putting out there in terms of Brad Katona. Uh, however. Uh, I still ended up making the play 1.7 units, uh, and I ended up cashing for 1.04 units. So I'm happy that I made the play regardless, got the money that I wanted on that, uh, and I'm happy there. Another play that I had, which ended up being a loser, uh, was uh, Juan Adams and Arjun Buller to not go to this decision. I bet two units at minus uh, 125. Um, I said this as soon as the fight finished. Uh, my only regret about this bet was the fact that I went two units deep and not just one unit deep. Uh, I, th I At the beginning of the week, I really thought I was going to be able to get plus money on this prop. Uh, however, it stayed roughly at a pick'em. Uh, minus 125 is what I ended up settling on. And for some reason, I just I decided to go two, uni two units deep to make up for the fact that I didn't get plus money on it. Uh, and that's just a lesson that I got to learn. You know, it's it's unfortunate that it was a two-unit loss. However, it didn't play too much of a detriment into the rest of the profits for the night. So, you know, silver lining there, if you want to call it that. But, uh, yeah, I wish I went one units instead of two units. Uh, but regardless, you know, it is an L. Uh, I I was expecting if it were to go past the first round that Arjun Buller was going to be able to gain uh, top control and either submit or pound out Juan Adams, who has always had a suspect gas tank. Um, but Juan Adams ends up surviving. Arjun Buller just grinds it out and gets the decision victory there. Lastly, 
my last play was a parlay, was which was a 2.5 unit stab at plus 108. I'm not going to call it a stab because 2.5 units is not a stab. <laughs> uh, 2.5 units at plus 108 for a parlay of Shane Burgos and uh, Kyle, or sorry, Nordin Taleb and Shane Burgos. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I have yet to see the Nordin Taleb fight, but I was expecting him to win a decision, and that's exactly the scorecards that we got. With Shane Burgos, completely outclassed Cub Swanson. You know, he looked very good. There were a couple good moments for Cub Swanson, but they came few and far between. And those between moments uh, was when Shane Burgos was really able to work his reach, uh, his leg kicks, his swift jab, uh, beautiful combinations. He was able to land on a veteran like Cobb Swanson, and it shows that he has a continuously growing ceiling, and Shane Burgos is going to be a problem. You know, that Calvin Cater loss is just a... Uh, just a, a bump in the road for him but i think he has a lot of potential and he can make a lot of big waves in this division so i'm very excited to see how they match up shane burgos next with that said that's ufc ottawa so we ended up profiting 5.60 units for a 45 percent return on investment very happy with the performance there um, very happy to finally get out of that mini slump that i was in over the last two events uh but that just moves us right the fuck along to ufc 237 Again, which goes this goes down this weekend in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, uh, headlined by a huge strawweight title fight in uh, Rosnami Yunus and Jessica Andrade. This is a fight that a lot of people have been calling for. A lot of people were thinking that Jessica Andrade probably even deserved this fight before his la before her last fight run, uh, which was against Karolina Kovalkiewicz. However, we all know everything that uh, Rose is going through mentally. Uh, so Jessica Andrade didn't want to just sit on the bench and, and wait for the title shot. She ended up going out there uh, KOing Karolina Kovakovic in her last fight. So that was very impressive on Andrade's part. And it continues to grow the the intimidation uh, or the, the perception that people have in Jessica Andrade of being this absolute monster, a.k.a. the female John Lineker, if you want to call her that. <coughs> But uh, yeah, again, like I said, this card is pretty much sprinkled with a lot of good talent. We have the return of Anderson Silva once again. He just fought in February against Israel Adesanya. He's coming back to fight the killer gorilla Jared Cannonier. Jose Aldo makes his return against uh, Alexander Volkanovsky in what could potentially be a, you know, a number one contender fight for Volkanovsky here. Uh, nobody really wants to see Aldo uh, get whooped by Holloway for a third time. So with a win here for Aldo, I'm not sure what he really does. Maybe he can go up to the lightweight division and, and you know, stake a claim for a title shot there. But we, we just don't know. And then again, like the rest of the card, Thiago Alves, Diego Ferreira against Francisco Trinaldo. That's a great fight. Uh, Ryan Spann coming in against... Uh, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira in enemy territory. Uh, Kurt Hallball against Thiago Moises. Great fight. Uh, Irene Aldana versus Betchko Ojea, which has been a fight that's been booked a couple times, I believe, and is finally going down this weekend. Uh, the return of the prodigy BJ Penn against Clay Guida. Not much to say about that fight in terms of quick thoughts. Um, what else we got? Priscilla Cachoeira, the zombie girl, uh, against a new a UFC newcomer who just performed on uh, Dana White's Contender Series. And then we got Sergio Moraes versus Wally always way down there on the card. Uh, and Howney Barcelos, who is another very, very promising prospect that a lot of people are high on. Um, you know, unfortunate that his opponent, Saeed Nurmagomedov, fell out. But, uh, you know, we're glad to still see him be a part of this card. So... 
Let's just kick this shit off. I already have, like, uh, if you guys have been following me on Twitter, at MMALOTL, you guys already see that I have three bets locked in for this weekend already uh, for UFC 237. And I'll tell you guys about them a little bit more as I get into this card. So let's just kick things off right off the bat with uh, Talita Bernardo against Melissa Gatto. Uh, the odds are currently sitting at, ooh, Talita Bernardo is a heavy favorite. Minus 460 for her while the comeback on Melissa Gatto is plus 328. Uh, I looked up a little bit of Melissa Gatto's fights. You know, we have everything pretty much on the tape index, so make sure you guys check that out on Newsom's website once we, uh, once you guys finish listening to this podcast, that is. Uh, everything that you need for a betting perspective and, um, you know, all the prep that you guys need, we, we, we take it out of your hands, and it's, everything is just one click away, so make sure you guys check it out on the tape index. With that said, Melissa Gatto in her last fight against Caroline Rosa, even though she got the Kimura victory there in the first round, you know, it seemed very dicey. And it seems like, you know, she's going to have a lot of trouble with girls that are able to stay out of uh, submissions, but also implement a very heavy grappling game, which is exactly what Toledo Bernardo brings to the table. I'm not surprised to see Toledo Bernardo as such a heavy favorite, especially against a girl that's an undefeated prospect. You know, she's only, she's five, uh, Melissa Gatto is 5 one too, so undefeated. Uh, but uh, Toledo Bernardo is definitely the more UFC-tested fighter here. Uh, she's coming off a victory over Sarah Morass, which which is a prime example of a fight where she showed that she's able to grind uh, grind her opponents out without getting submitted. And we know that Sarah Morass has a decent jiu-jitsu game, definitely something, uh, maybe something that I would rate even higher than Melissa Gatto's jiu-jitsu. So n- nothing to get too deep into here. You know, Melissa Gatto mainly a striker, even though she was able to pull off a submission in her last fight. Uh, I still got Toledo Bernardo here. I think that she's going to be able to grind this out um, and get the decision victory over Melissa Gatto. Moving right along, we got Hani Barcelos against a UFC newcomer and a short-notice opponent in Carlos Huachincuras, uh, a Peruvian fighter with a 10-3-2 record. Uh, he is currently on a very impressive six fight unbeat or seven fight unbeaten streak we got a draw sprinkled in there against Rodrigo Vera uh, his third last fight but his last two fights have not gone that long at all you know he he knocked out Marcelino Cavalcante in his last fight uh, roughly three minutes into the first round and then before that was able to knock out Andrine Dalla three minutes into that first round so he's a very heavy-handed Peruvian uh, but that's kind of where it ends you know th- there's a lot of uh, a lot of speculation that you can really put into his opponents, especially if you guys are looking at the topology pages for these guys. Um, you know, and obviously the tape too. Like you can see it that you know a guy like Marcelino Cavalcante, who's ten eight and one, is that really the type of fight that you want before you get into the UFC? Like the when you think of certain guys that come into the UFC or even Dana White contenders, series fighting some of these guys with mm-hmm. very sketchy uh, records. Um, you know, we get guys like Jordan Wright, I think that was his name, the ultimate can crusher. Um, so anytime he's fought anybody with a decent record, he's gone to a draw, you know, against Rodrigo Vera, who was 6-0 and uh, going into that fight. Um, and then I met K. Ratley, who was 4-1, uh, ended up beating our man Carlos by decision. So Hani Barcelos... Highly touted, uh, very entertaining fighter. You know, that fight against Carl Hollibaugh was an absolute war. And then that finishing sequence with the uppercuts was just a thing of beauty against Kurt Hollibaugh. So I was very uh, happy to see Hani Barcelos get the victory there. And then in the Chris Gutierrez fight, you know, that got dicey a little bit when uh, Gutierrez was able to cut Hani Barcelos uh, and 
you know, it was like something out of a horror movie. It just looked insane how much blood was pouring out of Hani Barcelos's face. However, regardless, uh, Hani was able to get the rear naked choke with a minute left in that second round and show continue to show his dominance uh, and why he is so highly touted by most fighters. You know, he's fought a lot of guys that are in the UFC already. Like even before uh, he was in, uh, before he was in the UFC himself, he's beaten guys like Tyler Toner, um, Bobby Moffitt, and Dan Moret way back in his RFA days. Uh, and now he's coming off of two victories over Kurt Holobot and Chris Gutierrez. I love his striking. He, he's shown that he has a great jiu-jitsu game as well. Uh, and I think this fight against Carlo Huachin is going to be a bit of a walk in the park for him. I'm not surprised to see him as such a big, big favorite, minus 531-ish, which is crazy. Um, but I have a very keen interest in uh, potentially parlaying him with somebody else in, on this card for a, a small play. Um, so make sure you guys, you know, maybe I'll hint at it later in this uh, podcast when I get to that matchup that I'm talking about. But I won't be mad to see people parlaying Hani Barcelos here. You know, he's very deserving of being a parlay piece, uh, even up to that minus 500, minus 600 range. Um, I said that, you know, girls like Angelina, uh, or sorry, Angela Hill and Macy Kiasen probably weren't deserving of a minus 600 minus 700 parlay piece spot but honey barcelos is one of those guys that i actually trust in those spots so um i'm gonna take barcelos here by probably first round submission uh, i think that he's able to get he's gonna do his work on the feet end up rocking our man carlos and then eventually get in the submission probably rnc uh near the end of the first round let's move right along to another interesting matchup here with two Brazilians facing off against each other. We got Sergio Moraes against Warley Alves. Starting off with Sergio Moraes, he's coming off a loss, a decision loss to Anthony Martin, or I'm going to call him Tony Martin because I can. If you guys have been listening before, you're not changing your name halfway through being in the UFC. So <laughs> our man Tony Martin ended up getting the decision victory over Sergio Moraes, who, you know, Sergio Moraes could not get the fight to the ground. Anthony, uh, sorry, Tony Martin was able to pick him apart on the feet. You know, Sergio Moraes is not the greatest, uh, you know, stand-up fighter out there. Obviously, he's known for his jiu-jitsu, uh, which, is, which kind of allows him to throw with reckless abandon on the feet. You know, he did, he's not the, the most polished and and technical striker, but he's able to land some of these winging shots because he, he doesn't care if he leaves himself open for a takedown. If somebody wants to take him down, go for it. He is begging you to take him down. So I think in this Wally Alves fight, we're going to see Wally kind of... It, it's going to be interesting because Wally likes to throw with heat, but if he throws with heat, he's leaving himself open for a takedown. So I could see Sergio Marais, you know, waiting, 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 waiting for those one of those big spurts from Wally Alves and then eventually ducking under for a double leg takedown and getting the fight to the ground. Uh, and then, you know, working his jiu-jitsu game just as we saw him work his jiu-jitsu game against Ben Saunders, who's highly accredited uh, BJJ black belt as well. So I was very intrigued to see Wally Alves as the favorite when the odds initially dropped and he's still a bit of a favorite. Wow, Sergio Marais is up to plus 128. That's insane. God damn. I, I, so I did end up playing Sergio Moraes as a dog of the night play at one unit at plus 120. I'm surprised that the line is as wide as, or is getting wider than what I had initially bet him at. Um, but, you know, people people keep drinking that Warley Alves Kool-Aid, you know what I mean? Especially that fight against James Cross. Everybody thought that Warley was a was a shoe-in, and a lot of people were kind of just using Warley as a parlay piece at that minus 300 uh, price range he was at against James Cross. But... James Cross does the damn thing, ends up finishing Wally Alves in the second round. Uh, and now here we are with him against Sergio Moraes. Um, 
I've, I've, I, I was one of those guys that was buying the Wally Alves hype back in the day, you know, when he was beating guys like Alan Jobad and Nordin Taleb, uh, and then he ran into Brian Barbarino, which was a big one for Barbarino, uh, Kamaru Usman after that. And then he goes on a two-fight uh, winning streak against Salim Tahari and Sultan Aliyev, and then runs into James Cross, which uh, was another finished loss for him. I think that was his first ever, yeah, that was his first ever uh, loss via finish. So in this fight against Sergio Rice, I think it could be another loss for him via finish. I think that Sergio Rice is gonna find his his chances to get this fight to the ground. Um, you know, whether it's throwing heavy on the feet and then eventually tripping Warley Alves or catch, you know, rocking him and then getting him to the ground, taking his back and choking him out. But I think there is a lot of value on Sergio Rice's here. Uh, again, I'm very surprised that the, the line is continuing to widen as well. So if you guys want, you know, just wait it out another day or two or something and see where this uh, line actually goes. But I think there's plenty of value, which is at that plus 120 range, which is where I already bet him at for one unit. So I'm taking Sergio Marais by second round submission. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised to see it to go to the third round. But another thing that would be very interesting is see the, uh, the, the fight doesn't go to decision prop, which seems to have just dropped. So fight doesn't go to decision is plus 125. Interesting. Very interesting. I might have to take a little peep at that afterwards. It's it's funny that the fight doesn't go to decision prop. Always seems to drop as soon as I record the podcast. So I don't really have much time to digest um, what is uh, what these lines are like or what they're looking like. So maybe we can you guys can just see my live reactions to seeing some of these fight doesn't go to decision props. Let's see what that Barcelos one is at. Honey Barcelos, fight doesn't go to decision, minus 260. All right, a little bit too much juice, but I can definitely see that. Uh, Toledo Bernardo against Melissa Gatto, plus 180, fight doesn't go to decision. Mm, I get that. Um, all right, yeah, so my, my official play on that and pick is going to be Sergio Marais. I got him one unit at plus 120. Uh, make sure you guys hit that. Wait on it a little bit to see if it widens even more, but uh, I'd be very surprised to see it get even worse than my, or get better than plus 130, so... Uh, Value City at plus money for Sergio Marais. Next up, we got Priscilla Cachoeira against Luana Carolina. Luana Carolina is 5-1. She's coming off a victory over Mabeli Lima in her last fighting on the Contender Series for uh, the Brazilian, uh, whatever they want to call it, the Brazilian Series? Dana White's Contenders Brazilian Series, Brazilian Edition, whatever the fuck they want to call it. They had three episodes last year where they did uh, five fights on each card, uh, simply all Brazilians. So, uh, you know, Luana Carolina was one of those fights there. And it was a very underwhelming victory. You know, I'm, I'm very surprised that she's coming She's coming straight to the UFC after a fight like that. She was kind of getting grounded out, grinded out by a girl that was way smaller than her, probably more stronger, which, is, which makes, a, makes, makes a little bit of sense there. But uh, I was not impressed with her at all. She seems like mainly a striker, uh, not the most... Um, aggressive striker either there so in this fight against Priscilla Cachoeira I think it's just going to be two dogs going at each other and uh I, I understand why wow I'm surprised that Carolina is such a minus 162 to plus 148 to Priscilla Cachoeira I think this is a fight that could go either way and that, that line is a little wide if I'm not 
if I'm being completely honest. So uh, I might dig a little bit deeper on that fight with Priscilla Cachoeira. You know, she's not, again, she's not the greatest fighter either, but she does have a, a good knack for moving forward and, and throwing heavy punches. She's, she's a little slow with it, so Luana Carolina might be able to catch her with a little bit more crisp technique. But, um, you know, with with Priscilla's forward movement and, and how tough she is, I think she could walk through anything that Luana is able to throw at her. Um, as long as... Luana doesn't really knock her out. I think Priscilla Cachoeira has a good chance of kind of overwhelming Luana Carolina here. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the dog here in Priscilla Cachoeira. Probably not a bet, but uh, you know don't be surprised if you guys see me eventually warm up to her a little bit more as a bet throughout this week. Um, but as of right now, uh, no bet. But I'm gonna pick the underdog here in Priscilla Cachoeira via decision. Let's say decision. Next up, we got Clay Guida versus BJ Penn. This fight is happening for who God, who the fuck knows. Should not be happening, period. BJ Penn should be long gone, should be cut. Um, surprised with all the, you know, domestic abuse allegations and everything that's going on with BJ Penn. I'm surprised that he's still in the UFC and the UFC is allowing him to fight this weekend. But it is what it is. You know, Greg Hardy's co-main eventing fights that are on ESPN, so... The UFC is going to do what the UFC fucking does. Um, but with this fight, if you guys have been paying attention, it is a part of my lock of the night play. So we'll start off with the on the losing end, which is BJ Penn. He hasn't been fighting that much. It's crazy that a guy with a record of 16, 13, and 2 is still considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. He's clearly fighting way past his prime, um, and it's unfortunate as to why he continues to fight way past his prime. He is on a six-fight losing streak. Seven fights uh, without a win. You know, the, the, that first out of those seven fights was against John Fitch. Um, and uh, that was actually a draw at UFC 127, which went down in Australia, from what I remember. And before that, he knocked out Matt Hughes in 2010. So if you find Matt Hughes in 2010 and you knock him out in 21 seconds, it's not something to be super proud of. But let's just quickly go over a couple of the names that he's lost to since his draw to John Fitch. He dropped a decision to Nick Diaz. He dropped a decision to Rory McDonald. He lost to Frank Edgar in the third round uh, way back in July of 2014. Uh, he came back in January of 2017 and lost via head kick and punches to Yair Rodriguez. Uh, after that, he lost a decision to Dennis Seaver. And then after that, which was way back at... UFC 232 in December of this past year, uh, he lost via beautiful heel hook submission by Ryan Hall. You know, if most of you remember, it was like a rolling heel hook he was able to catch BJ Penn in. And if you're catching BJ motherfucking Penn in a rolling heel hook, you know that you should be, you should be gone. Like <laughs> BJ Penn should not be fighting. But here he is fighting Clay Guida uh, at UFC 237. Uh, I, I don't expect to see a better BJ Penn. I expect to see a, a slow, uh, you know. Not the greatest jujitsu BJ Penn. I expect Clay Guida to run circles around him. I expect Clay Guida to beat him up on the feet. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Clay Guida get like a second round finisher, uh, even if it's just overwhelming him or punches against the cage. Um, even if this fight gets to the ground and Clay Guida wants to work on top, I could see him, you know, kind of passing BJ Penn's guard and I can see him doing heavy damage from on top. But BJ Penn is clear, clearly just in this for the, the, the paycheck at this point. And it's very unfortunate to see a legend like that fall from grace especially with all the again all the domestic abuse allegations that are going on around of him uh the 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 well what's the, what am i trying to uh the restraining order that's against him as well uh so it's it, it's very disheartening 
but uh, at least we get to see his, him get his ass beat by Clay Guida here. So uh, Clay Guida is actually the first leg of my lock of the night parlay, which is going to be capped off by the next fight. Uh, also, I'm going to take Clay Guida, Clay Guida by second round TKO. Uh, like I said, my lock of the night plays extends to this next fight, which is Irene Aldana against Betch Cohea. Uh, I got Irene Aldana as the second leg of my lock of the night parlay. I think she is going to have absolute success in this fight against Betch Cohea. Uh, Betch Cohea is 10-3-1. She is coming off a KO loss to Holly Holm way back in t -t -t June of 2017. So she's had a fair amount of time off. She's closing in on two years of, uh, you know, she, she'll be a month shy of two years from the last time she fought. <clears throat> She was actually scheduled to fight Irene Aldana way back in August of 2018. However, she had to pull out. I believe there was a, a neck injury of some sort that, that had her pulled out. So it's, it's unfortunate that she has to come back from such a devastating injury uh, against a girl like Irene Aldana, who is obviously the way better striker, is going to have a significant reach advantage, um, and you know has great footwork, has a great sense of range, keeping her range with, with her jab and her kicks. Uh, and Betch just just... I'm, again, I'm surprised that she even she was able to get a split decision victory over Jessica I, which is mind blowing to me. Um, and then goes to a draw with Marion Renault, which is a fight that I, I believe I bet Renault in. So glad that it ended up turning into a push because it was a draw. Uh, but then you know her next fight against Holly Holm, I think I went balls deep on Holly Holm here, uh, who was uh, a very heavy favorite, but I expect her to win inside the distance, and she did. Uh, but yeah, now she we have Betchkoya against Irene Aldana. I think Betchkoya is going to have a lot of issues trying to close the distance and land big shots. I don't know how well she's going to be able to engage in the clinch, but even if she's able to clinch Irene Aldana here, I don't think she'll have much success getting Irene Aldana down. Um, so I see Aldana having plenty of success just picking apart Betchkoya on the feet uh, and running away with the decision. One thing I will give Betchkoya is her toughness she is able to you know take a lot of damage that holly home knockout was a weird knockout but i don't expect irene aldana to pack that much of a that much power in her kicks as uh, a holly home per se so um i'm taking aldana by decision here uh and that will cap off our lock of the night play which is um again clay guida and irene aldana i parlayed them together from minus 142 uh, so I think that's a great price considering that we got Andrew Sanchez at minus 161. So uh, if, uh, you know, I hope both of these uh, both of these fighters are able to roll here and we're able to secure that lock of the night money because uh, that would be very good. <laughs> Moving right along, we got Tiago Moises against Kurt Holaba. <clears throat> this should be a great fight. Uh, I'm very intrigued with how this fight's going to play out. In terms of the odds, we got Tiago Moises currently sitting around minus 140 with Kurt Holaba at a plus 120 underdog price. Uh, Tiago Moises, you know, very good jiu-jitsu player, has shown that he has knockout power in his punches uh, and his kicks, um, especially in that fight against Gladeson Cutis uh, in the Dana White Contender Series fight. You know, had a, had a lot of success there, showed a lot uh, that he had to offer on the feet. Uh, in the Benil Dariush fight, I, I did bet Tiago Moises in the spot, and I thought that he was going to have some success landing on Benil Dariush, and then eventually put... Dariush out. Uh, unfortunately, he was not able to. Uh, Dariush, you know, stuck to the game plan. His chin held up, and he was able to get the victory uh, via decision in that fight. I think, you know, Kurahalaba is going to be a little bit more engaging on the feet. Might, you know, put himself out there and put him in danger a little put himself in danger a little bit more uh, against Tiago Moises. So it's really going to come down to whose chin is able to hold up more. Um, this is a fight that I would be interested in seeing the fight doesn't go to the decision prop, which is at minus 125. So I might, 
This is a fight that I could definitely see not going to a decision at minus 125. That's in a very intriguing uh, uh, spot. So I, I might look into playing that. Um, but I, I don't know who to play, man. Like, you obviously got to give the ground game to Tiago Moises if it gets there. But Kurt Halbaugh does a decent job of keeping the fight on the feet. Jeez. Um, this, one's, this one's a tough one. Um, uh, I am going to side with Moises here, just given the fact that he has more advantages uh, all around. Um, even though I think that this fight could probably see on the feet for the most part. Uh, I, I still got to go with Tiago Moises. Excuse me. Uh, but I think that, you know, he, with his advantages all over in the fight, uh, he is definitely the, not, not maybe not a bet, uh, but uh, he definitely uh, has the attributes to win this fight, uh, more so than Kurt Holba, who is always just seen as more of like a slugger, brawler, uh, stand-up fighter. You know, it's it's going to be, you know, we like a clear roundtree, for example. We've seen these guys make massive leaps and improvements in between fights, but Kurt Holba doesn't seem the type of guy uh, that would make that type of, you know, improvement in between fights. Then again, neither did Cleo Roundtree. So uh, who knows what to expect in this fight. Uh, it's a fight that I'll personally stay away from other than maybe the fight doesn't go to decision prop. That's something that I'm interested in. But as a pick, since that's what you guys are listening for, I'm going to take Tiago Moises uh, to win by second round submission. Next up, we got Antonio Hajirio Nogueira against Ryan Spann. Lil Nog coming back to the UFC after knocking out Sam Alvey. When the hell was that one? That, I feel like that was earlier this year. Lost a lot of people money. I know that for sure. Uh, yeah, this oh, this was actually in September of this past year. He was able to knock out Sam Alvey one minute into the second round in a fight where, you know, it was stylistically a very good fight for Nogueira. Uh, however, we knew that the only issue there would have been the chin. So Nogueira came in here as a plus 310 underdog. Everybody and their mother thought that Sam Alvey was going to knock out Nogueira. Uh, unfortunately, Nogueira was able to land the better shots, uh, especially against a very one-dimensional Sam Alvey, who just likes to throw those big haymakers. And if he's not able to land them, he kind of just wilts and just backs up and backs up and backs up and throws another huge shot. But that's you. You can't bank on that, especially against a guy in Nogueira who, you know, has, you know, decent boxing uh, at the two hundred five weight class. Um, you know, he was. Uh, I believe he was part of the national boxing team for Brazil. Um, but his issue has always been his chin. Like if you're if you're able to land on the button, uh, he's going to go out. And a lot of people thought that Sam Alvey was going to be able to accomplish that way back in September. Unfortunately, he wasn't. Nogueira was able to find the button and put Sam Alvey out. Um, but I think this is going to be a short-lived comeback for Nogueira. In a fight against Ryan Spann, this guy Ryan Spann has seen pretty much it all. Like he's 15-5. and five. Uh, That's 20 fights deep into his pro MMA career. He's had two fights on the Dana White Contender Series. The first one against Carl Robertson did not last long enough for us to see really what he was capable of. He got finished with uh, an elbow 15 seconds into the first round. But since then, he's able to put together five straight victories, one of them being a 26-second guillotine choke over Emiliano Sordi on the Dana White Contender Series. Um, and then after that, he was able to finally make his UFC debut against uh, Luis Enrique, who was debuting at 205 at the time. Uh, and he was able to grind out Enrique there. You know, he's a very powerful guy. Uh, he's going to have the size advantage here and power advantage against on uh, Noguera, in my opinion. But if he stands uh, on the feet for too long and stands in front of Noguera, I think I wouldn't be. 
surprised to see Nogueira land some shots on Ryan Spann. Uh, however, uh, I do think that we're going to see the longer, leaner Ryan Spann moving around a little bit more, using his footwork uh, to make it harder for uh, Nogueira to land a, a, a good shot. You know, Nogueira's at 42. He is the slower fighter here, clearly going to be the slower fighter, and will be giving up a lot of strength uh, against Ryan Spann here. So uh, I think that we could see a, a finish for Ryan Spann, maybe uh, a takedown and, and a ground-and-pound kind of finish. Uh, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see Ryan Spann land a big shot on the feet, maybe a head kick of some sort uh, to put Nogueira on Queer Street and then eventually put him out. Also, I'm going to say Queer Street. I don't give a shit. I know a lot of people are starting to <laughs> move away from that term, but it's a term that combat sports have have used for time and time and time, and I'm just going to continue to use it. So screw you guys. But either way, I'm taking Ryan Spann by first round knockout. Uh, I think his six and a half reach inch, uh, six and a half reach advantage as well as a three-inch height advantage is going to play uh, a huge role here. And we're going to see this youngster, a 27-year-old in Ryan Spann, get uh, the biggest name under his belt in uh, a low nog victory. So Ryan Spann, first round KO. Let's move along to, actually, you know what? Let's see what the fight doesn't go to decision odds around that too. Minus 285. So a little bit of juice there. Uh, let's see. Ryan Spann inside the dis distance. Plus 104. Maybe a little poke there. Something to bring to your attention, if I must say. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, regardless, I'm taking Ryan Spann by first round KO. Next up is a great fight. These two may not have the biggest names in the UFC, but everybody who knows and is an MMA nut, just as I am, know that this will be a very fun fight. Francisco Trinaldo against Diego Ferreira. Starting off with Diego Ferreira, Carlos Diego Ferreira, I'm not sure why he dropped the Carlos, but uh, Ferreira is coming off a victory over Rustam Habilov in the last fight way back in February. Uh, he was able to, you know, pretty much outstrike Rustam Habilov. A lot of people know that Rustam's game is predicated mainly on uh, a grappling uh, approach, trying to get these guys to the ground, grind on them, slam them, do what they need to do to squeeze out a vic uh, decision victory. However, Diego Ferreira was able to mm -hmm. stifle that and eventually, you know, pick apart Rustam Habilov on the feet uh, and get the victory there. So very impressive win for uh, Diego Ferreira there, especially coming off that Kyle Nelson finish, uh, even though he was supposed to fight John McDessie. John McDessie pulled out. Jesse Ronson came in. He had to pull out. And then Kyle Nelson came in, I believe, on three or four days' notice. Uh, put up a decent fight. Uh, however, you know, the, the experience difference definitely showed here. <clears throat> or I should say the UFC experience showed here. And Diego Ferreira was able to get the finish over Kyle Nelson there. In this fight against Francisco Trinaldo, I think he's still going to have the striking advantage and maybe even the speed advantage here. But one thing that Francisco Trinaldo does well is pack, pack a lot of heat in his punches and his strikes, especially to the body. So it's, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Trinaldo is able to, going to be able to mix in his body work uh, as well as his imposing frame against the Diego Ferreira who showed you know very good footwork uh, a lot of good striking uh, he's really good good at jiu-jitsu too so if this fight is able to get to the ground I think he should be able to hold his own but Trinaldo is just stro so strong heavy and and just packs so much power in his punches but another old you know another elder if you guys want to call it that 40 years old Francisco Trinaldo you know doing the damn thing against Evan Dunham last time around in September, where he finished uh, having done him with a, a knee to the liver and then eventually pounded him out there. Um, yet, uh, Trinaldo's had a couple fights booked for himself. He was supposed to fight Islam Makachev, uh, and then he was supposed to also fight Alexander Hernandez, but both of those fights fell through, and now he's coming back to fight Diego Ferreira. So, 
I, I want to take Trinaldo here because I've always been a fan of him, and I, I, I took the, I believe I took the fight, doesn't go to decision against Evan Dunham. But uh, this is another fight I, I would actually be interested in seeing what the fight doesn't go to decision looks like. Let's see. Plus 170, so maybe another underdog uh, fight doesn't go to decision bet there. That's that's very intriguing. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, fuck. I want to pick Ronaldo, but Fiera just looks so good. So don't be surprised if you do see an underdog bet from me on Francisco Ronaldo. Uh, but it's something that I'm gonna have to ponder throughout the week. Uh, I will go with Diego Fajera as my pick. I think that you know his just his his youth, his footwork, um, his striking. I think he's going to be able to stay away from the the heavy shots of Francisco Trinaldo, uh, and I think that he's going to be able to put on a bit of a striking clinic against Trinaldo here. So I'm going to take Fajera by probably by a third round TKO. We know how much. Francisco Trinaldo likes to suck wind at the end of the fights, uh, and I think that's where Diego Ferreira might be able to put it on him a little bit more and eventually get the finish there. So I'm taking Diego Ferreira, third round TKO, or submission, but third round finish for Diego Ferreira. Next up, we got the Pitbull, Tiago Alves, against Loriano Staropoli. Uh, Tiago Alves is coming off a decision victory, split decision victory over Max Griffin in his last fight. Uh, back at the beginning of February of this year. Uh, before that, you know, he had a very competitive fight and uh, a guy in Alexei Kunchenko who was very highly touted, 18-0 going into that fight. And then before that, he got knocked out by Curtis Miller via knee in the second round. Uh, so he has gained a little bit of momentum, uh, you know, coming into this fight against Staropoli after that victory over Max Griffin. Uh, and he definitely has the experience advantage over a guy like Staropoli who... This will only be his 10th fight and only his second fight in the UFC. This will be a huge jump up in competition after Saropoli was able to get a decision victory over Hector Aldana last time around in, Arge in his native land of Argentina. Um, but Tiago Alves, you know, this, this is a different animal. This is a guy that if you want to stay on the feet, which is where I think Laureano Staropoli does, he better, you know, uh, mind his P's and Q's and make sure he's very disciplined when he fights Tiago Alves because Tiago Alves will find those holes, especially in a young fighter like Staropoli. Uh, and I think he'll make it a tough fight for Tiago Alves. We know Tiago Alves has a lot of success in the clinch, um, very heavy leg kicks. Um, we don't know if this Max Griffin win is something that's going to light a fire under him and show him that he's able to still get victories this late into his career. Uh, I want to say late, but, you know, he's 35. He fought George St. Pierre for the title way back in 2009 um, uh, at UFC 100. So since then, he's had a bit of a tumultuous path, uh, a loss to John Fitch, uh, a win over John Howard, lost to Rick Story, win over Poppy Abedi, lost to Martin Kampman, beat Seth Bozinski and Jordan Meehan, lost to Carlos Condon and Jim Miller, beat Patrick Cote, lost to Curtis Miller and Alexei Kunchenko, and then just beat Max Griffin last last time around. So it's been a very up and down path for him. It's like two wins, one loss, one win, two losses. It's it's unfortunate, but I think he has a very winnable matchup here in front of him against Loriano Staropoli. Uh, the odds currently sitting at, ooh, they're pretty much even. So maybe a small Tiago Alves play might be in, might be, uh, something to think about uh currently the best price you can get on him is minus 102 uh on sport bet while the comeback on Lor loriano Staropoli is going to be minus 112 oh man 
Uh, I'm going to go with Thiago Alves here, man. I, I think there is some value at him, uh, on him, you know, this fight being in Brazil, him fighting, you know, maybe it might be a little bit more of a closer matchup if it eventually stays on the feet. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I like Thiago Alves here. Staropoli, you know, I, I did bang on him a little bit because I did bet Hector O'Donnell last time around. Um, I, I wasn't impressed with his level of competition. And say what you want about Hector Aldana. You know, he, he is still, you know, six or seven fights deep into his uh, career. But huge experience jump here uh, with Staropoli fighting Tiago Alves. And I think that might play a huge factor into this fight. Uh, so I'm going to go with Tiago Alves by decision. I think he outstrikes the youngster, makes it a gritty fight, does some work in the clinch, uh, but eventually comes up with a decision victory, Tiago Alves. Next up, the three big fights. This is why I called it a top-heavy card. We got three huge fights to cap off the card. First of which, Alexander Volkanovsky against Jose Aldo. Alexander Volkanovsky is probably one of my favorite up-and-coming fighters. His style, his pressure, um, you know, very entertaining fights. Uh, it's pretty always, it's always like a, a one-way street whenever he's fighting. He's always able to implement his will against these guys and d dictate where this fight goes. He has a strong grappling game, but he also has very heavy strikes that he likes to use to come forward and close the distance with. His fight against Chad Mendes was just a thing of beauty. You know, he, he did get dropped one time by Chad Mendes, was able to recover his, his senses, get his, get, get back to the feet, uh, and then implement his own striking and eventually rocking, dropping, and finishing Chad Mendes himself in the same round. That that was just insane. That was one of the more impressive fights that card. The the fight before that, you know, a lot of people thought that he was going to be able to finish Darren Elkins. Elkins is just a, a freaking mummy, man. It's insane how much damage that guy is able to to take uh, and still keep coming forward. However, Alexander was able to still pull out a very decisive decision victory there uh, against Darren Elkins. Um, like I said at the top of the show, you know, this is a number one title, co title contender fight for Alexander Volkanovsky. If he's able to get the victory here, it's hard to deny him a title shot against Max Holloway. Um, it, it's a very tough task for him to go up against a guy like Jose Aldo, who seems to have found his fire again. You know, he hasn't been finishing guys in a long time. Uh, so he's coming off of two finishes over Jeremy Stevens and Hanato Moicano. Um, before that, let's see, the last time he finished somebody was the Chan Sung Jung fight, which was in August of 2013. But if most of you remember, you know, Korean Zombie actually blew out or dislocated his shoulder in that fight. And it was very visible. And I think that was, that is what really um, made, made that fight actually uh, come to a stop was more so Chan Sung Jung's uh, shoulder injury more so than it was Jose Aldo's punches. Um, and then before that, you know, the, the last second knee against Chad Mendes, which was way back in January of 2012. So the, the main point being here, you know, Jose Aldo hasn't really been known as a finisher as of late, especially during his UFC run. Uh, but now he's coming out, you know, after two losses to Max Holloway, finishing Jeremy Stevens in the first round with a beautiful body punch. And then... Uh, putting it on Hernato Moicano, completely overwhelming him, and then finishing him in the second round. Uh, in this fight against Alexander Volkanovsky, I think he's going to have a much tougher time of imposing his will. You know, Hernato Moicano is more of a, a counter-striker, a way for you to strike, use, really use his distance and, and wait for the perfect opportunity to strike. Whereas Alexander Volkanovsky, you know, he's more of a pressure you, put you know, put put the pressure on you with punches, put the pressure on you with uh, grappling and clinch work and stuff. Uh, I'm interested to see what Volkanovski's game plan is going to be here. You know, although 
he has a lot to offer in that first round and a half. But I think that if he gets past that round and a half, Volkanovski has a really good shot at possibly finishing Jose Aldo or at least getting a, a 10-8 in that third round. Um, and then, you know, hopefully one in that second round enough to get a decision victory here. I am going to lean with Alexander Volkanovski, who is the slate favorite at plus 125. Um I hinted at this earlier in the in the in the podcast, but uh, I am thinking of parlaying Harney Barcelos and Alexander Volkanovsky for roughly around plus two hundred. Uh, I'm thinking of dropping one unit on that just to get to, you know I think there's good value there. Like I want to bet on Alexander Volkanovsky, but uh, plus one twenty five really doesn't itch it for me uh, as a straight pick. But if you throw Hani Barcelos in there, last time I checked, you could get roughly around plus 200. So I'm going to make sure that's still the case uh, now that I've really finished up the tape study on both of these guys. Um, and I, I think that Volkanovski offers that, you know, he, he's not going to have the success that Max Holloway had, which was keeping the distance and, and letting Jose Aldo whiff on a lot of shots and then kind of tiring himself out. I think that he's going to have to go in there. He's going to have to eat a few shots. But the consistent power, body work, and um, uh, grappling you know, relentlessness, if that's what you want to call it. I'm probably making up a word right there. But uh, just that, that ability to, to grind and pressure on these guys, I think he has the ability to to to, to really to really stifle Jose Aldo's Muay Thai um, and striking prowess. <clears throat> so I'm going to take Alexander Volkanovsky here. Uh, I think that... Uh, I just think that it, it's really his time. You know, he's 19-1. and one. His only ever loss is coming way back in his fourth fight in the UFC, which is when he got... Or it's not, sorry, not in the UFC, but in his pro career. But since then, he's, you know, strung together so many victories, uh, very uh, impressive victories as well, especially that Chad Mendes one. Um, but I think that Volkanovski is going to get this uh, via decision, um, and that will set him up for a title shot. Uh, it, it hurts me to say that because I've I've been such a big fan of Jose Aldo, and I did cash a little bit on him when I uh, bet him against Jeremy Stevens. Um, but uh, you know, we we all love to continue to to count out Jose Aldo, but I think that this is the time where we count him out, and it actually happens. Uh, the the interesting point here is also that Jose Aldo is the slight favorite, so there might be more money coming in on Volkanovski or Aldo. I'm not I'm really not sure. How the public is really perceiving this matchup, but in terms of how I perceive it, I think that Volkanovski has all the tools to get a decision victory over Jose Aldo here and set him up for that shot against Max Holloway. So I'm going to take Alexander Volkanovski by decision. Next up, we got the Kobe event: the return of Anderson the Spider Silva versus Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer. Um, it's very intriguing that Anderson Silva and Jose Aldo are fighting on the same card. You know, maybe five or six years ago, it would be, you couldn't even imagine the fact that the UFC is going to be able to put two superstars like these guys on the same card. Uh, but now, you know, time has run its course and Anderson Silva is 40, you know, 40, however many years old. Let's see. Let's confirm how old he is. 44 years old. Jose Aldo, you know, Maybe a little bit of a resurgence in his career, but it's more so the fact that Anderson Silva, you know, has a big name still, even though he has lost plenty of times. He has lost five out of his last six fights, um, and that even that one victory over Derek Brunson is very, very uh, controversial. So he could just as easily be winless in his last six fights. Um, but in he comes against Jared Cannonier, who is coming off a victory over Der David Branch, where he was able to um, fend off David Branch's grappling and takedown attempts in that first round. 
and then really put it on David Branch in that second round. You know, it only took him 29 seconds to get David Branch out of there after he landed some big shots and followed up with some ground and pound. Um, I, I'm interested to see if Anderson Silva's chin is going to be able to hold up here because I think that Jared Cannonier is going to be able to land a lot of big shots. Uh, Silva showed a lot of promise in that fight against Israel Adesanya. It was a bit of a chess match, uh, if you want to call it that. I think a lot of people were overblowing how entertaining it actually was. You know, it was a good fight, but it's not like... I'm seeing some people saying it was like fight of the year candidate or something. I'm like, eh, hold your horses. Just just hold your horses. Just If you take out the fact that it's Anderson Silva and Israel Adesanya and you put in, in two other guys and they had the same exact fight, you guys would not even be talking about that fight anymore. So... Let's get that straight first. With that said, um, he did show a lot of good things in that fight against Israel Adesanya. He was able to land a lot of good shots. He showed that he was still able to, you know, kind of master the range. But uh, against an ex explosive and strong fighter like Jared Cannonier, it's hard for me to see how Anderson Silva pulls off the victory here. Um, Cannonier, you know, minus 150-ish uh, right now with Anderson Silva around plus 135, plus 140. Um, I, 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 it's hard to trust Anderson Silva here. I don't know how people are going to be able to con uh, comfortably put money on Anderson Silva uh, against a younger, uh, more powerful and faster striker than Jared Cannonier at this moment. Um, but I think that Anderson Silva just, you know, he wants to fight in front of his home crowd and this might actually be his last fight and it would be nice for him to have his last fight in the Rio de Janeiro. So maybe that's why they have him in the co-main event spot and why they have him against a guy that, you know, People think he could possibly beat, but the guys that Jared Cannonier has lost to, you know, the, those those losses have been to guys like Dominic Reyes, who has just been looking freaking phenomenal as of late. You know, to say what you want about the Uzdemir fight, uh, Jan Blachowicz, you know, he's he imposed more of a grappling heavy game plan against Jared Cannonier, which is definitely something Anderson Silva will not be doing. Uh, Glover Teixeira, you know, same thing, implemented more of a grappling game to defeat Jared Cannonier. So it's hard for me to see Anderson Silva actually uh, trying to go for takedowns and control Jared Cannonier in those situations because I think that Cannonier, you know, you got to remember, this guy was fighting a heavyweight way, way back in the day uh, and slowly eventually cut down to 185. And I think that uh, he is going to have the strength advantage here uh, and it's going to be tough for me to see how Anderson Silva gets this fight to the ground. So I'm going to take Cannonier. Uh, it pains me to say this, but I'm going to say by a third round KO um, or second round KO. Uh, and it's going to be a, a, an unfortunate farewell for Anderson Silva here. But uh, I got Cannonier by third round KO. Not a fight that I'm really looking to bet either because I've bet Cannonier in the past and it's really burned me. And I don't want it to come back and burn me once again. <laughs> All right. Main event time. The last fight that most of you are here for. Jessica Andrade against Rose Nama Yunus. I have, this is probably the best strawweight fight that they could put together by far. You know, we don't need to see Yoni and Jacek against Rose Nami Yunus 3. Uh, but Jessica Andrade, you know, mini Lineker, I call her, or female Lineker, uh, I already have a bet on her. I've already bet 1.5 units on Jessica Andrade at minus 117. I thought the line, you know, I, I have a lot of people out there that think that Jessica Andrade will eventually get to plus money. I don't think so. Um, you know, she the best line you can get on on Draj as of right now, it's 5 p.m. on a Monday, uh, is minus 120 at bet online. I, I just don't see that line getting any better. So, uh, in terms of these fighters themselves, Jessica Andrade is coming off a beautiful knockout victory over Karolina Kavakovic in her last fight. Um, like I said at the top of the podcast, um, you know, that's a fight that Jessica Andrade definitely did not need to take. You know, she could just sit out there and wait for um 
for Rosnam Yunus to get her shit together so they can eventually book this fight. You know, we had odds on this fight for a long time in advance. Uh, however, you know, Rose just needed her time. Uh, so Jessica Andrade went out there and just knocked a bitch out in Karolina Kovakovic uh, within two minutes of that first round. Uh, before that, she completely dummied Tisha Torres, dummied Claudia Godilla, and then had that loss to Yanni and Jacek. So a lot of people might point to that fight, uh, the Yanni and Jacek fight, uh, as to why Ro Rose Namajunas should win this fight. Um, it's it's tough for me because I, I went back and watched the Karolina Kovakovic fight against Rose Namajunas, and it seemed like Rose was very um, hesitant uh, or, you know, was not the same fighter in terms of what she's been showing as of late, which, which makes sense. You know, it was four fights ago where she fought Karolina, but uh, when she's on her back foot, it's really tough for her to get things off. Um, and I think in a fight against Jessica Andrade here, she is going to be on the back foot quite often. Uh, I could see Rose landing a couple good shots, you know, being the more technical fighter there uh, and, you know, having the tighter, crisper, straighter punches. The, you know, the one-two is going to be very important here for her. The, the front kick is going to be very important for her to keep Jessica Andrade on the outside as much as possible. Um, it would absolutely mystify me and blow me away if no, Rose Namajunas is able to land a shot that would put Jessica Andrade on her butt and knock her out or potentially follow up with some sort of submission and knock her out, or, or sorry, yeah, and submit her, uh, I don't expect that to happen at all. I expect Jessica Andrade to be pushing forward from bell to bell, and I think that it's going to eventually break Rose Namajunas. Andrade is going to land a big enough shot to put Rose uh, on skates, and then Andrade will eventually um, follow up with heavy shots and uh and get the tko um you know people want to pick apart uh, andrade's game due to the fact that you know she has that john lineker vanillae style where she just you know puts her head down and just swings forward and and just goes berserk but it's shown to be effective you know like yoana jacek is the only woman that's really not been able to hold up against and you know we, we show that yoana does decent when she's able to, when she's being backed up and and still able to land her pot shots mm -hmm. and her front kicks and all that um I just don't see Rose being able to have the same success. And MMA, we all know this. MMA math does not work. Just because Rose Namajunas beat Yuan and Jacek twice does not automatically mean that she's going to be able to beat Jessica Andrade here. Um, th th there is absolutely a possibility I could see where Rose Namajunas is able to to land enough shots throughout 25 minutes to to get a decision victory. Um, you know, she has the footwork and and the head movement and. And the boxing ability to uh, negate some of these big shots from Jessica Andrade, but I still think that Jessica Andrade will land the big enough shots throughout these fights, uh, throughout these rounds, and one of them might be significant enough to actually hurt Rose enough, uh, where Jessica Andrade could follow up and get the TKO finish. You know, this is five rounds that you got to stay away from Andrade, and um, I don't know if. You know, I don't know how much five rounds is really going to have an issue for Andrade. She went the five rounds with Yanni and Jacek, and she didn't really slow down significantly in that fifth round. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't expect her to slow down significantly here either. Um, so uh, I, I am going to go with Jessica Andrade, and I did better at 1.5 units at minus 117. Uh, if you are confident that you you think more people will bet on Rose as the as the week goes on, I would highly suggest just waiting it out and see if you can get you know Andrade around that minus one fifteen to minus one twenty range again. But I do think this is a fight for her to win. Uh, you know, first before I even finish this, let's really commend Rose Namajunas for even taking this fight in enemy territory. We all know what her mental state is mm -hmm. like. She is very easily shook. 
Um, but in this fight, you know, she's going against probably the scariest woman that she could fight in her home country against one of the most ravaging crowds that you could possibly go against. So big ups to, you know, Rosa Namajunas for even accepting this fight and accepting the location of it. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that we're going to see her title reign come to an end. And we see Jessica Andrade walk out of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil as the new strawweight champion and probably hold the belt up there for a little bit. That's probably the best thing to happen for Yanni and Jacek, if I'm going to be honest, because we are, we know she has a win over Andrade already. So that's probably Joanna's ticket to get back into a title shot. Maybe get the belt again if she beats Andrade and then possibly hook up another fight with Rose the third time around to eventually, you know, maybe avenge one of those two losses that she already has to Rose. But UFC 237 will be Jessica Andrade's night and uh, she will leave the champion so as of right now i have three bets my first one was the lock of the night play which is irene aldana and clay guida five units at minus 146 second play is my dog of the night play is one unit on sergio morais at plus 120 and then lastly is just normal regular bet uh 1.5 units on jessica Andrade at minus 117 um uh, with the, the the fight doesn't go to decision props and the inside the distance props coming out, uh, it's something that I'm going to be looking at. And there are some very intriguing spots, especially when I was going through this podcast. So uh, it's something that I might look into a little bit more. So make sure you guys keep your eyes peeled on uh, my Twitter timeline at MMALOTN for any further thoughts and any further possible bets I will have for this card. Um, but uh, I think that's pretty much about it. We finished up LFL season six last week. Uh, my man Danny V was able to get the victory with Dan Henderson. The Cinderella story, you know, number six going into the playoffs and then eventually came out the victor um, <clears throat> beating up a Nick Diaz in the last round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, as I said, uh, uh, throughout that, throughout LFL season six, you know, LFL season seven will actually be you guys competing against each other uh, in the same LFL format league, uh, regular season, playoff style, and then you guys... Uh, try to compete for that cash prize at the end of it so make sure you guys hit me up uh and i'll make sure to give you guys as much information as possible we're trying to push it as much as possible i've seen so much interest out there for something like this uh and now i'm trying to actually do it full blown so let's see where we can take it <clears throat> but uh yeah man that was fun so we we're just talking into your phone for an hour uh compared to actually having them the camera in front of you as i'm used to in, being in a big rob studio but uh, that, that, that's pretty much about it. So, again, keep your eyes locked on my MMA, uh, locked on my Twitter uh, for more possible bets for UFC 237. Until then, good luck. Good luck with your preparations. And uh, I shall be back with the tape index at the end of this week uh, for UFC Rochester, which is the next event headlined by Kevin Lee and Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, but until then, good luck. And I hope everybody profits unless you're betting against me. Okay.